You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join Coach C, a USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete. The goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Welcome to Absolute Empowerment. I'm your host, Jeff Connors. Tonight we have former ECU Consensus All-American punter and also ECU Hall of Famer, Andrew Bays. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate you having me. This is awesome. So uh, I was honored to have the opportunity to coach you through your career. And I'd have to say as kickers and punters, you were one of the more uh, normal human beings that I've known. <laughs> and well, uh, I appreciate that. Um, the I other end of that spectrum would be uh, another kicker that I coached by the name of Jeff Reed, who played with the Steelers. And and I think Pat McAfee's completely off the spectrum. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I think I, I worked out with Jeff um, my senior year. I was working out with a, a punter by the name of Brian Schmitz, who uh, was having an exceptional year out at Chapel Hill. And uh, we had been tracking each other. And at the end of the year, when we were both preparing for the uh, – you know, upcoming NFL workouts and scout scouting combine and the NFL draft. We were, I'd go to Chapel Hill, work out with him. He'd come here, work with, work with me. And um, Jeff, I believe came and worked out. He was a little bit younger, but he came out and worked out with us. So um, it was awesome to see. He had a great career. Yeah. He say the same kid. for Brian and myself, but he had a great career. <laughs> yeah. He had a very, uh, Vibrant personality with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I've, I've heard. Everybody knew Jeff Reed when he was there, no doubt. Yep, I heard about him. And I really enjoyed coaching him. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing now, kind of how you got into that. You are a uh, a medical device sales rep. Is that correct? That is correct. So I'm in. I'm mainly in the orthopedic space. So I work specifically with orthopedic surgeons. Um, during surgery, uh, as well as outside of surgery, prepare, helping to prepare uh, the instrumentation and devices that the surgeons are going to use in an orthopedic procedure, whether it's uh, total, total joint arthroplasty or trauma work or, you know, some soft tissue repairs like rotator cuffs or uh, other sports injuries. You know, I, I work uh, every day in the OR with the surgeons, supporting the staff that supports them and making sure that our implants and devices are used appropriately um, to be able to give the the patient the best outcome uh, that they that they deserve. So, yeah, it, it, it's wild. I mean, I it, it is not what I uh, went to school for. I went to so I graduated um, at school of business at East Carolina in, in a, with a marketing degree. And, um, you know, after my, my playing days were over professionally, my, my oldest brother had a mortgage company um, that, you know, I had been working with him 
as I was preparing for the NFL and when I would get released and I would go back and he'd teach me the business. So when my playing days were over, I, I jumped in the mortgage business space, specifically sales in the mortgage space. And I did that for six, seven years. And then I was recruited. Um, I got a call from a medical recruiter uh, for the position position I'm in locally here in Eastern North Carolina. And, um, you know, it's crazy. I went to sit for that interview and I, I remember calling my mom, telling her that I, that there was really, I don't see any reason why I would get the job. And she was, she was laughing. She was giving me a hard time because I, I did not like blood and I did not like kind of gory stuff. And she said, I don't even know why you're going to interview for that because I don't know that you can tolerate that. And I said, well, I, th I think it's a great opportunity. So I'm going to sit for it. And, um, you know, the position itself, it was, I think the, the company saw the benefit in having me um, at that time uh, with my relationship with ECU and some of the team doctors and team physicians and, um, you know, as being a former player. So um, the rest is history. It's something I've, I've been doing for about 15 years now, 14, 15 years. And um, it's work that I love every day I go in. I know I've told you uh, multiple stories and different things that we, we see on a daily basis, but, um, you know, it's ever changing. Nothing's the same. Um, you know, and, and I look forward to going to work every day. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about joint replacement. Um, so you, you basically work with the hip, the knee, and the shoulder. I do, with yes, sir. So, um, yeah. So I know you've you've had a good experience with total hip. <laughs> yeah, I get to see your videos that you send me. <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, I started to have uh, hip pain, you know, toward the end of my career, and uh, I had no idea where it was why, why I had hip pain. And of course, it ended up being arthritis, but uh, that that didn't surprise me since I did about fifty thousand reps of squats through my life and whatever else. But uh, but yeah, I found it hard to run, and uh, I didn't know what was going on. But I basically uh, weathered the storm for about two or three years before I decided to do something about it. And then uh, what everybody says is. You know, once you do it, it's it's incredible. You need to go ahead and do it if you got arthritis. So uh, I went to Dr. Kelly at Duke because I heard some great things about him. And uh, he did the anterior replacement. And uh, I can barely even see my scar now. It's only like about four inches long. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just incredible because, you know, as you know, I've sent you videos of me squatting now. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, I've got a gym but, uh, I don't have any pain at all, and it's it's really incredible um, that that whole thing. Yeah. So, uh, do you find the same type of success with each of those joints, or which which one do you have the is the longest uh, rehab, for instance? Yeah. So, um, you know, we don't. You know, my my job is to have a a great surgical outcome. Is to help the surgeon you know, make sure that those implants are getting put in the way that they need to get put in the most efficiently way, the best way. And um, so I don't have a lot of interaction post-operatively, you know, once, once they walk or once they, they wheel out of the OR, 
Um, the only feedback I ever get really is from friends and family that have procedures similar to, to, to your story. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's relative to, you know, from what I've gathered from, you know, my years of doing it, it's all relative to, um, you know, the, the type of pain, the type of damage, the type of, you know, person, whether the person was sick, um, you know, or ill going into the procedure or whether they were healthy going into the procedure um, and what that procedure might be. Obviously, re uh, shoulder uh, joint replacement, you know, those patients exceed immediately because it's a, it's not a load bearing joint. So, you know, the knee and the hip, you know, those are different scenarios uh, because they're they're loaded joints and they require, you know, sig a significant amount of physical therapy. But the way the the implants and devices are now, you know, you you're they're getting you up. And as you've experienced, they get you up and out and really yeah. into a, a pretty good range of motion early. And, um, you know, the thing that you're battling in your in your therapy really is is swelling um, scar tissue, um, and getting some of those, you know, soft tissue fibers firing again, I think from what I've, from what I hear, sometimes yeah. you experience some atrophy and it just takes a little while for you to recover. And to be quite honest, sometimes it's, it's rebuilding those soft tissues and muscles because, you know, depending on the patient, they might not have been firing those soft tissues because of their debilitating uh, arthritis, they might not have been firing those muscles for a very long time. So, you know, the therapy for those patients is really getting them strengthened again to be able to, to, you know, be mobilized significantly more than what they were before. So, you know, every procedure is a little bit different. Every patient's a little bit different, but, you know, the way the medicine has, um, way these implants have been designed, it just gets year over year, they just get better and better. Um, you yeah. know, the, the company I work for, um, it seems like there's enhancements to already really good implants. There's enhancements every year. So, you know, the science just gets better and the products just get better. I'm really glad to hear that. Cause I'm going to have to talk to somebody. about <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I had a separation a few years ago. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah it's no, probably in your future in there as well. It's yeah, probably I don't future. doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I'd like to do is, uh, and this is what we do commonly on this podcast, uh, want to go back, uh, tell your story of growing up a little bit, uh, your family and who your influences were. And then, you know, because it is a Christian podcast, we always ask anyone if they want to talk about something in their life where they, uh, uh, had to uh, basically rely on their faith to overcome adversity. So uh, love to know a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, uh, so let's talk a little bit about your, when you grew up as a young man and, and your, your influences and a little bit about your family. Yeah, sure. So I, I grew up in a town called Bowie, Maryland, which is about 15 miles uh, northeast of Washington, D.C., uh, so I grew up in and around the Washington, D.C. area. Um, you know, I, I'm the youngest of, of five. So we had a uh, full household growing up with without a doubt. Um, and, 
you know, as far as growing up, I, I grew up in a, a great neighborhood. Um, you know, it's, I don't know if you're familiar, Pennsylvania guy, familiar with Levittown, uh, Pennsylvania, but the, you know, the, the man that that town is named after, uh, built, built our homes and we built in, we, we lived in a, uh, a Levitt community. So it was, uh, quite in Bowie, Maryland, it's basically all Levitt homes. And, um, so community pools, community centers, um, churches, you know, you name it, the community is pretty tight, uh, especially in, in Prince George's County. And, um, so, you know, our lives growing up were very active. We were rarely ever in the house. Um, my, my parents kept us, uh, involved in sports, uh, from the time we were four or five years old, uh, all the way until, you know, out of high school. Um, and shoot, I was even active, probably the coaches at ECU didn't, didn't want, want to know, but I was, I was playing in men's college leagues, soccer leagues, the summer before I reported at, uh, ECU when I probably sh should have been pumping iron as, as weak as I was come, coming in, <laughs> coming in. But, um, you know, the childhood was, you know, was, was normal. It was, it was fun. Um, you know, being able to ride your bike through the neighborhood and, go catch up with your buddies and, you know, always have a, a open door to walk into, you know, during good times and bad times um, was always something that was, was great for me. Now, heavy influences in my life were, were the ones that were closest to me, which were my siblings. Um, not, you know, obviously my parents, my mom and my dad, as far as leadership and, you know, providing for us and giving us every opportunity um, despite, you know, some financial limitations. Um, we, we always had the core group of my siblings. So I, I had great siblings to look up to, uh, all of them obviously older than me. And, um, so we were tight, tight knit and we are still very tight to this day. Um, you know, we grew up that way. So we've, uh, tried to encourage all our kids, um, and, and their cousins to grow up the same way. So, family functions to me are a very big deal. Um, you know, I've always lived away from, from Bowie ever since I left to come to ECU, but, um, most of my family is still there. And we, you know, even though it's five hours to get home, you know, we'll, we'll drive all the way to Bowie just to spend a, um, you know, a birthday on a Saturday, uh, with family members or a graduation party or whatever it might be. Um, and then sprint right back home for whatever commitments we have. So, um, family's super important to, to me and my family, um, you know, and, and especially early on, uh, the ones that I really relied on and the ones I really looked up to, um, were my siblings. So you became an all American punter. And so what are some of the things, some adversity you had to overcome? Is there anything you can think of there? Uh, challenges that you had to overcome well so um, as far, as far as becoming through before you became successful as, as a collegiate punter yeah i mean it's i mean that was a, a a long road as far as athletically to get to become a, a collegiate punter um you know i i was a soccer player basically my whole life from the time i was four or five years old 
until, like I said, the the really the weeks before I reported at ECU, um, I was a base, you know, around the clock. I was soccer, baseball, and basketball. That was clockwork every single year uh, from the time I was five, six years old until through high school. Um, and I, in the summers, I played tennis and I swam for the local uh, swim club. Um, but you know, as far as getting getting into high school and you know, I excelled at those three sports and, you know, I lettered in all four years and all of those sports, um, you know, in high school. And, you know, I, I, I got a phone call. It was probably my junior junior now. Well, it was my let's rewind um, my sophomore year at Suitland High School um, coached by Lou Albano. Um, I was on the soccer field and soccer and football went at the same season. And I was an all county soccer player my freshman year, you know, second team all met, whatever it was. And I was having a pretty good, you know, off season. And the football coach came over to me um, right, really right before the football season started. And he told me that basically I was going to be their 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 kicker and their punter. <laughs> I didn't really have much of a choice. I didn't try out. Um, you know, I didn't know how that would go, but I tell him I. I give it everything I had. I, I didn't know what I'd be doing, um, but I give it everything I had. So he would, uh, he would have special teams practice at the end of uh, soccer practice. So I'd, I'd finish up soccer practice and run over there and they would do some special teams drills. And, um, you know, I wish I had some of that tape because it was pretty embarrassing, but um, you know, my whole career up to that point, I was really driven to, you know, figure out whatever it was, whether it was hitting or, or shooting, you know, free throws or basketball or baseball, whatever. I dedicate a lot of time to it. So once I got the kicking bug, you know, I continued on with, with soccer full time, but um, I started working the football thing on the side and um, you know, we, my brothers would let me kick to them in the streets. You know, we had really narrow streets in our neighborhood and um so I literally would, was learning how to kick a football in the streets in Bowie, um, trying to avoid hitting houses because if you if you shanked one off our street, you you were definitely hitting a house. And um, so you know I'd play around with that, and um, you know I guess it was probably after my junior year, um, I got a phone call from DeMatha High School, DeMatha Catholic High School. And they wanted me to transfer to come be their kicker and punter for my senior year and um, had expressed to me, you know, the success that they had getting scholarships for, for players. And um, it was an honor for me to be invited to do so. So, you know, obviously we couldn't afford private school at DeMatha Catholic. Uh, which is a legendary high school in and around the DC area. And um, so they put together a scholarship package and made it, made it feasible for me to do it. And uh, so I transferred uh, halfway through my junior year uh, to DeMatha to be able to compete my spring, you know, baseball spring season at DeMatha and then be ready to go um, for that, that, that senior season. Um, but more important, importantly, it was between my junior and senior year that the head coach at the math of Bill McGregor introduced me to a Mark Mosley kicking camp that was based out of Lehigh, Pennsylvania. 
Um, so it was Mark, Mark Mosley and he was handling the kicking aspect of it. And Bill Renner, uh, who's now a legendary high school coach, uh, at Northern Virginia. And he's, he's moved uh, out towards Chapel Hill, um, was the punting coach. And it was that summer where I really mm -hmm. learned how to kick and punt. And, um, you know, so Bill Renner's son was Bryn Renner, right? Yes, sir. That's correct. Yeah, I coached him. Yep. So Bill, Bill is the one that, that taught mm -hmm. me. And, um, so that, that summer he, he, he got me tuned up at least to a point where I could compete at a high level my, my senior year at Damatha. And, um, you know, that I did, I was able to, to be first team all state, first team all met, um, really put together a solid senior year and a lot of good tape. And, um, so, you know, DeMatha did a great job with me, not only athletically, but academically. I mean, I was coming out of Prince George's County Public Schools. I thought I was in pretty good shape until I got to DeMatha and DeMatha, um, as far as the academic track, um, they ramped it up to a higher level. I really struggled uh, early on uh, with just the basics of writing an essay. And um, so I had to get tutors and try to get get everything in line. Uh, so I, I didn't fall behind academically my senior year, but, um, you know, it was wild after that fall, we, we won the state championship, uh, at, at the Matha, um, Bobby Weaver, who was, uh, was yeah. one of my longtime best buddies and, uh, former college roommate. He was our, our starting quarterback and yeah. Bobby Parker was, uh, was our starting left tackle who also, uh, came, came to East Carolina and he's again, one of my buddies here in town. But, um, so those guys put together a lot of film for me and, um, DeMatha started sp spreading it out. And what, what was beautiful about that period of time, and this, this will probably, you'll probably, this will hit home with you. We had no clue, you know, we're, we're making a state title run and, uh, we had no clue that anybody was recruiting us. Bill McGregor and the football staff at DeMatha, they held back letters. They would not let coaches contact us. They wanted us hyper-focused on the season. And um, as soon as we won that state title that next Monday, we came in, Coach McGregor called us in the office, and we had a literally boxes full of letters that had been coming in uh, throughout the season that he handed over to us. And when I tell you that was like Christmas, I mean, it, it, that was the greatest feeling ever to, to know that, all of a sudden you've uh, you've got some significant schools that are interested in you and now this is this is real you're going to have a real opportunity to play division 1 college football that didn't hit me until after the state title and um so at that point you know uh you'll also appreciate this uh he started lining up work <laughs> workouts you know um outside of Damatha you know visits and workouts and um you know, we we would have colleges come in and um, whether it be Northwestern or Tennessee or Maryland or East Carolina or Virginia Tech or whoever it might be. And, um, you know, have some great visits there at school. And, um, you know, so so then the process started. And, um, you know, I remember getting a phone call from East Carolina. Um, the, the coach on the other line was was Cliff Yoshida. And. Um, <laughs> He gave me a buzz and I remember, I'll never forget it. My, my mom answered the phone and um, I, I had gone. I'd already received a lot of phone calls up to that point. And um, 
coach was on the line. I was, I was in the laundry room of our house, but you know, the cord didn't go very far. And, um, so I remember it was Cliff Yoshida and, um, he was telling me that he was interested in me and, uh, you know, congratulating me on my year. And, um, I, when I tell you, I had no clue, uh, what East Carolina was or where they were located, or even if they were a division one football program, I'm not lying to you. Um, I had no clue. And um, so he educated me on what was going on at that point in Greenville, uh, the Ross, you know, as far as the roster and as far as the yeah. schedule and um, the fact that that you guys were were getting ready to compete in the Liberty Bowl, uh, 95 Liberty Bowl, and that um, I'd be able to turn that turn on ESPN and watch you guys and be able to see what was going on. And um, sure enough, you guys were playing Stanford and um, I had all of a sudden I'm, I'm, you know, it hits me that this is a legitimate fun program and that this is a, a real consideration. And um, so, you know, Cliff Yoshida and uh, Ken Treadway came up to, to visit me at the Matha and um, eventually coach Logan came up, sat in my li living room and, you know, was telling me how much, you know, I, I could make an impact at, at the school and, um, you know, came down for, one, I had five visits scheduled and um, ECU was my first visit. And I, I went down, Bobby Weaver, Bobby Parker, myself, we all came down on the same yeah. visit and um, just absolutely had a blast. Chad Holcomb was my host. And um, so Chad took me around town and showed me about. And, um, you know, you, you can imagine, you know, what Chad exposed yeah. my, my, my uh virgin eyes too and um so he we had a good old time and you know i remember i remember uh we were staying at the hilton and coach logan he uh he called us all into i guess the boardroom we had breakfast and he was meeting with everybody one-on-one -on -one. and of course everyone on the trip is just accepting offers like yes coach i want to play for you yes coach i want to do this well i got in there and um you know, I, it was probably a conversation I had with my mom where, you know, there's some other schools and, you know, you got to see what, what, what else is out there. And he, uh, he offered me and, um, I said, I appreciate it, coach, but I really like to think about it and, um, go home, talk to my family, you know, do that kind of thing. And, um, he was taken aback by it a little bit. I could tell. And, um, so he, he, I think he gave me a deadline, you know, of a couple of days or something like that. And um, so lucky to get that. What? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I, I went home. You know, what's funny is he he hung that over me forever. He you know, he's a chip on the shoulder guy. And that's the way yeah. he coaches. That's the way he coached. Uh, that's the way he 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 got us going. And, you know, even on senior night with my grandmother in attendance, um, you know, the, everyone's getting nice things said about him and, you know, he starts talking about me and all he could say, my grandmother to this day, she's 100 years old. And she's like, he didn't say anything nice about you. He just said how you <laughs> were thinking about going to Tennessee and thinking about going to West Virginia and thinking about going to Michigan state. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that ECU was the last choice. And like, that's typical Steve Logan, you know? And, um, so 
you know, of course I sat on it. I talked, talked to my family and I, I didn't tell him, but I, I didn't take any of those visits. Um, I didn't, I didn't yeah. take any more visits. That was it. <clears throat> so the, you know, as far as I know, that's a long answer, but that, that was my path to how I just became a punter at, at a division one level school. The, the work to that really propelled me to my success later in college was really the work that I did every summer. I would go back to Lehigh every summer with the same group of guys. They were all division one kickers and punters. And uh, it was almost like a fraternity at that point. We were all in it together. Uh, there was about 10 of us and we would go back and it would be peer to peer based training. And, um, you know, we'd come out of those summers. It would be like a week long session. We'd come out of that just so much better. So it was, there was a lot of work and a lot of um, effort put into it. But, um, you know, it, it, I had a lot of soccer coaches and a lot of basketball coaches, um, some baseball coaches that were upset that I chose football uh, collegiately um, because they had been with me for so long. But, um, you know, I, I, I loved the opportunity. I, I had not played football very long. And the idea of running in front of 80,000 fans at the division one level, you just can't get that with soccer. You can't get that with baseball. And you, you couldn't get that at the, the basketball level I'd be playing at in college. So, you know, to me, it was a no brainer um, to pick ECU and to, um, you know, give football a try. Well, usually if you had any doubt with Steve, you were history. So uh, he must have really liked you a lot. <laughs> or he didn't have any other options. Maybe that was it. <laughs> well, before we move on, uh sounded like you had just a ton of support, which is awesome. But uh, is there anything you can think of uh, that somebody else might be going through out there where you had to uh, rely on your faith to get through growing up? Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I came from, you know, I, it was, um, you know, I, I talk about having a great childhood and being fortunate to have what we had. Um, but, you know, the, the flip side of that is we, we made, um, you know, we made a lot of uh, successes out of, out of need um, to keep ourselves busy. Uh, I grew up in a home where my father was an alcoholic and um, thank God is a re re recovering alcoholic um, and um, has been sober now for golly. Um, it's got to be, it's got to be 17, 18 years and he's going to kill me for not knowing that number. But um, you know, Growing up in a, a household like that is not easy. Um, you know, uh, thank God for my family and my siblings. Um, you know, it, it's it's difficult when you're the youngest of five. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the household. And, you know, if, if I didn't have a place to vent that energy or to you know, um, uh, kind of talk through some of my, my personal issues. I don't know where, where I'd be today. Um, so, you know, my father, um, you know, he, he battled with 
alcoholism really probably from his teens um really where it probably all started it was all just social and you know we've we've learned that it is um a bit of a disease that you know is just genetically in them and it was just it just ate away at them for years and um you know anytime he would have stress uh he'd turn to you know the beer and uh when i say turn to the beer it was like a lot of beer and um you know i i i i tell or at least the ones close to me you know he was a different animal when he wasn't drinking so you know you could um you know if you could get him early in the morning you know when he woke up it's like you know he's the guy that you you he's your hero he's the guy that you know is just a a ball of fun and um i always said me you know start having two or three beers early in the morning all of a sudden that hero turns into a, a villain and um you know it it's uh it's a crazy process where you know i know i i fought with him you know tooth and nail probably from the time i was a, a child you know just seeing him go through that and seeing the times where he was sober and enjoying those times um to when he'd become a villain and i i feared it it was a it was something i truly feared and you know i would try to hide his um alcohol you know i try to hide it all up in the attic um you know usually kids are trying to sneak away with alcohol and, and stash it away for their for their own you know their buddies and for a good time you know my, my life my young life i i was trying to hide it and uh trying to get it out of the house and um so you know there were you know a lot of arguments you know um a lot of things that my mom had to deal with um you know having five kids and having a husband that you know is 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 dealing with that um she bore a lot of the weight for us um which i'm forever grateful for um you know she was somebody that you know, didn't, we didn't have a lot of means. So she had to find creative ways to keep us busy. And she did that by giving us every opportunity to stay busy in sports. As I talked about earlier, you know, there was not a season that would go by where we were not active. Uh, she would give us opportunities to be in the Boy Scouts. She would give us opportunities to uh, be in youth group. She would try to try her best to get us with our buddies in the neighborhoods and, you know, go ride bikes, whatever, just get out of the house. And, um, so, you know, I, I really leaned on, you know, my, my siblings, um, you know, I'm not the only one that was going through it. They were going through it as well. Um, you know, my, my dad, you know, I, I, my dad probably went through, I don't know, my childhood, maybe five, six, uh, rehab, uh, stints, and i remember you know when when he would go um or i really never even knew when he'd go my mom would pick me up at school and let me know that she had taken him and um i just remember feeling so good knowing that when he came home he would be that hero and um he would be that guy that we we always enjoyed and um you know there's nothing more devastating than you know him coming home having a good time and you know having a few weeks few months whatever it might be and then next thing you know you know you walk in the door you know you walk out the door and he's sober and normal and then you walk back in that door that one 
one time and boom, it's, you know, it's the, the villain again. And, um, it's just crushing. And, um, so, you know, I, I've, I've always, um, you know, felt for adolescent kids, you know, teenagers, uh, young, young children, um, those that are, are, are living in homes, um, where there's, um, you know, addiction, whether it be drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be, it's, it's not a great environment to be. Um, and like I said, my, my mother, you know, she stood right beside them and was with them all the battles, even though it was not easy for her. She very, very easily could have walked out that door and she never did. And, um, they're still together in Bowie, Maryland today. And, um, you know, it's, you know, I know it's part of his sobriety to, to listen to this and to understand some of these things. You know, I, I, he was, uh, with AA meetings, you know, he would, you know, we, we would go to support him and, um, you know, that was always an awkward thing going to AA meetings, but, um, you know, it's important to do so, but, um, you know, looking back on it, it's, it's pretty wild actually. You know, we we had family counselors. Uh, I had individual counselors. You know, like I said, there's quite a bit going on at the house. And um, I remember sitting. He was in in a program at NIH, National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. And um, I remember sitting at the table with my with my family. He was not present, but it was my mom and all my siblings. And um, I was probably golly, nine years old, maybe nine, 10 years old. And I remember the counselor, um, you know, we're all telling, you know, what's going on and um, talking through it. And she pointed me out and she told me that statistics showed that the youngest would be more, the most susceptible to becoming an alcoholic um, since it's in the genes. And, um, it's pretty powerful, you know, you, you, yeah. you know, to have a, a grown up, um, a professional, you know, a doctor point and tell you that, you know, so early in your life, <laughs> you know, scares the crap out of you. And, um, you know, we've, we all kind of, you know, that stuck with me, um, you know, and I've, of course having older siblings looking over me, you know, as they started moving on through college and high school or high school and college, uh, they keep a close eye on me and, um, you know, have daily contacts, make sure that, you know, I'm on the straight and narrow and doing good things and um, staying ahead of it and um, not letting that that bad side get get into us. And I think collectively as a group, uh, we've we've done, you know, despite what happened earlier in our lives, you know, I think collectively as a group, we've we've been exceptional at that. Um you know, as far as staying in a cohesive unit and, you know, being encouraging for one another. And uh, when times are tough, you know, being being supportive and helping each other up. So, you know, that that's been a, a bit of adversity for me, you know, not just early as my childhood, but that, um, you know, that carried on his battle carried on um, through college when I was at ECU and even into my professional career at, um, in Europe, you know, I, I remember a time I was in, I think it was Amsterdam. So it would have been my second year in NFL Europe. 
I believe, and my my father and my mother um, were supposed to be making a trip over to to you know spend some time watching football and and getting around Europe, which my mom was looking forward to. And um, my dad had been sober, but uh, probably right around the time before uh, he had gotten back into drinking and his addiction took over. And I remember, you know, remember talking to her and the disappointment in her voice that this trip was starting to fall apart. And, um, you know, she was even holding out hope the morning of that flight that she was coming over. I was going to be picking her up at the airport in Amsterdam and um, or meeting her at the train station. And I remember, you know, she she got there and she was not with my father. Um, you know, she was she made the trip on her own. And, um, you know, that was incredibly difficult, you know, for her and for me as well as disappointment. Um, and I was so far away from home uh, that I couldn't deal with it there, you know, and trying to deal with those emotions in in Amsterdam. But, um, you know, it's it's all part of it. And, um, you know, alcoholism and addiction is a hell of a thing. And I got a front row seat for it. And, um, you know, fortunately it, it, it could have torn our family apart. And for a time it was tearing it apart. And, um, but, you know, it was all the forces of, you know, God and all the forces of my family and all the forces of all the good people, coaches, um, the, our, our priest, um, my grandparents, you know, everyone that knew kind of the situation that we were in, shoot, teachers, uh, assistant principals, um, counselors at schools, like e everyone kind of knew what was going on. And um, everyone around each corner was was so caring and thoughtful to make sure that we were on continuing on the straight and narrow if we ever need anything. Um, you know, my whole childhood, really, I was <laughs> you know, jumping in cars with coaches that would come pick me up and take me to practice. Um, that's the way it was. And, um, so, you know, I, I, I feel for any child that's been through it or, you know, or any child that's going through it now, you know, I, I wish there to be a, a place that they can get to, to vent and talk and, and get support. Well, uh, praise God for his recovery and, and praise God for keeping you strong through that whole experience. And, you, you know, you you're to be commended for everything you've accomplished, you know, after having to weather that storm. So uh, I commend you for that. I and, appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for sharing that. Thank you for letting me share. it. So we want to talk about ECU a little bit, your experience there. Uh, I really, you know, can't say enough for uh, those years you were there. How much fun I had! How much, uh, how much I respected the players in relationship to how hard they worked and uh, the camaraderie, the leadership. Just so many things were so so memorable through that time period, and and much of that is to be, you know, is to be credited to, of course, Coach Logan. Um, but I just had a great time, and uh, I was looking at uh, your senior class, uh, and I know 
we can, I want you to kind of talk a little bit about some of your most favorite uh, experiences, but uh, I just want to mention that, that uh, 1999 season because it's so crazy right now when you look at, you know, power five teams and you kind of look at, I don't really want to talk about, you know, ECU right now. I mean, I'll leave that to somebody else to talk about ECU, but the, uh, I'm just talking about our experience where, you know, that year we, we started out, we beat West Virginia, we beat Duke, we beat South Carolina, and we beat Miami. Those were our first four games. Is that correct? I think that's correct. It sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. So, uh, I mean, and then later on, of course, we beat NC State as well. Um, so these teams are now power five, you know, and then we, I think we beat the two, uh, two lane, like 52 to seven is what I remember there. So in uh, Houston and Cincinnati as well. Yep. Louisville. And I, I think we had one hiccup that year with, uh, there were no fans at UAB and nobody knew what to do. I remember that. So the yep. whole stadium was empty. It was like a scrimmage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So people got hypnotized. Yep. Uh, I don't. I don't think I was ever so mad in my life. You know, uh, losing that game. But uh, I remember specifically in the warmups of that game at Legion Field. I remember yeah. being in warmups, and um, you probably can can get a good sense of it too. But as a as a player, um, you know if the team's got juice or not. And you know, as a as a team unit, you know what I remember in warmups against UAB is just like we don't have any juice like there's zero juice going on right now. And I always, I, I thought that that was, I probably didn't think much of it, but I just remember thinking yeah. that, you know, we've got no energy, you know, and this is probably not a good sign. And uh, that whole game we played flat. We never played, you know, pirate football the way we needed to play. Um, yeah. And, you know, you get behind in a game like that, you just kind of dig yourself a hole and, um, now I just remember being super flat as a team in in that game, and it, it bit us bit us in the tail. Yeah, and it really tells you something about football. I mean, you got to be consistent. You got to be ready no matter what. And you know, you got to you're looking at a team that was highly successful, uh, who basically came in there unfocused for whatever reason. I mean, I I really don't know the reason, but the, I, to me, it was like, hey. There's nobody in the stands, and, right? Uh, you know, it was just uh, energyless, as you said. But, but uh, this class right here uh, <laughs> still got the picture, man. Everybody signed for me, and uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Yes, that's a good sir. Class. That's one of the most proud things I have in my little man cave here, and uh, so you're looking at Kevin Monroe and Quabina Green, uh, Nikki. Uh, you got Flea and Jerome, uh, Chappelle and uh, Norris. And, I mean, just uh, Jeff. Of course, uh, Derek Gamble's on there. You know, God rest his soul. He passed this year. Yeah, I hated to hear that. Uh, Rantley Rivers. Uh, so, you know, just a a really great, hardworking group. Played hard. Were talented, and uh, gave it all they had. And you know. I talked about this when I spoke at the, uh, the at Eddie's wedding, of course, about the specialist back then who won War Day, which mm -hmm. was kind of unheard of. Right. 
Uh, we put the specialists together as a team. We had nothing to do but work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we had plenty of time to prepare for that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's true. But, uh, but yeah, that's something that's definitely memorable. And then, uh, you know, the other thing was that was extremely special was that ESPN Spirit Award, of course. And uh, the whole thing with the hurricane, you know, of course, uh, the victory over Lou Holtz and then staying down there for a week and then coming back to NC State Stadium and uh, defeating Miami. And the thing about Miami was that was really crazy is how many draft choices they had on that team was was nuts. I mean, Santana Moss ran by me on the sideline in the first quarter. Uh, you know, I barely saw his uniform. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was like I mean, about a 4-2. But the thing is, like, I, it was a little bit different of a time. And um, so we were we were amped the week before to be able to go down to South Carolina. It's a place that we had success quite often. And to be able to go down there and play the role, uh, I believe it was Lou Holtz's uh, home opener as head coach of South Carolina. So we got to go down there and be the sport, play the spoiler role and, um, you know, be able to go down there and ruin his day, which we yeah. did um, convincingly. And that was a pretty good feeling. I never, never forget coming in that locker room and um, coach Logan sharing the news that we wouldn't be, you know, a change of plans and we wouldn't be going home. Um, you know, that we were going to stick around and, um, or like stick around, like what, head out tomorrow or, you know, uh, Monday or, you know, it was like, no, we're going to, we're going to stick here for the week. We're going to, we're going to prepare um, here. We can't go home. Um, everything's flooded. And um, that's what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, you know, you're like, what do you mean? And uh, you know, you, we, we pack a little bag with one pair of underwear and one pair of socks and we wear our travel suits and that's about it. And, um, you know, that's all we had. Uh, we didn't have anything and there was no cell phones. There was, uh, right. not anything. And so yeah. we had to contact our parents. We had to contact our families and let them know what, what was going on. And, um, you know, we, we probably had the benefit of being naive and no perspective to just kind of put our heads down and go to work. Coach said, we're going to stay here for a week. We're going to go to work. And, okay. Let's do it. And, um, so back to the hotel, we went and, um, I believe, you know, South Carolina was university of South Carolina, even though we had just ruined, uh, Lou Holtz's home opener was it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but those fans were phenomenal. They, they dropped off at the hotel. They would drop off, um, food. They would drop off, um, some clothing, different things. Um, you know, they let us use their facilities for a little bit of time that week before we moved to practice to a local high school. Um, but I, I just remember university of South Carolina being first class through all of that for that week. Um, you know, so that, that was a good thing. I remember I, this was probably maybe later in the week or maybe the middle of the week. It's still a line that I, I use to this day, but coach Logan, uh, the guys started kind of um, chirping about the food at the hotel that it was just, monotonous the same you know meals we were eating over and over and um coach logan in his in his you know wisdom he he said 
don't bitch. Fellas, don't bitch. So whenever whenever things get tough around this household, my household, my girls, <laughs> my girls hear that line, don't bitch, you know, and it, it's it rings true for me. Like, you know, he was basically saying, look, you guys are lucky. You're in yeah. a hotel. You're away from a crap storm right now. Yeah. And you better be thankful for what you have and don't bitch. And um, so, you know, I, I, I took that lesson with me to this day and I will take that to my grave. Um, you know, stay humble, you know, appreciate what you got. Um, and that, that, that he, I don't know if he was, uh, in his wisdom, if he knew that that would have an impact on us, uh, as long as it has, but it's, it, that one stuck with me. Um, so in any event, yeah, we get through that week preparation, you know, yeah. you and the coaching staff, you know, had to adjust on a dime and uh, come up with a plan of how we were going to attack the University of Miami. And, um, you know, you, you coaching staff came up with an incredible plan. And um, I remember, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but getting to uh, Carter Finley Stadium uh, when the game was moved to NC State and we're on the buses. And, um, you know, we were told all week long that probably nobody's going to go to the game. And if anybody gets there, it'll probably be a couple maybe 10, 20, 30,000 fans, whoever can get there. And um, we, yep. turned, we turned the corner and um, get in that parking lot. And it is, the parking lot is a sea of purple and gold. And um, that's when it, that's when it first hit me that, Oh boy, we got some fans. And um, you know, I remember going into the locker room and um, coming out, for usually kickers come out what an hour and 20 minutes before the game hour 15 something like that and the kick we we came out we were the first ones first group to come out for warm-ups and um it was an eruption of fans and uh, i remember looking up and the place was entirely packed and usually when the kickers come out hour 15 hour and 20 you know it's just your parents and some friends that are out there and you can wave to everybody and that kind of thing, um, you know, it gives me, you know, goosebumps and my hair stands up thinking about it, um, of how our fans showed up and, um, you know, in, tr in true fashion, even after all that, Miami smacked us in the face to go up 21, nothing, <laughs> you know, we're like, Oh boy. But to go back coach in warmups, you know, similar to UAB, I remember, you know, observing during, during warmups against Miami, they were dancing in their layup lines. And um, I remember thinking, these guys aren't taking us serious tonight. You know, this is just another game for these guys. And, um, you know, maybe there's maybe there's a chance. And um, sure enough, you know, they, they smack us early. We go down 21 nothing. And I don't know if you remember this, but Coach Logan uh, opened up the locker room to the to the former letter winners. And um, yeah. Larry Shannon, the Hart Twins. Yeah. Um, they all came rolling in and, um, you know, basically he let them express the message and they walked through the locker room, just letting everybody know, you know, that this is not right and that we needed to get our act together in so many words. And, um, you know, that was a little bit of a catalyst, uh, for what, what was to, what was to come in the second half. And, um, yeah it was a parade uh, that second half of what, you know, what our onslaught was and 
what took place. A um, lot of guys, a lot of effort, um, not just one person, you know, it, it was a collectively, it was a team effort to be able to do what we did that night. And um, it was very special. And I, it was special to me, but I know it's special to a lot of Pirate fans. Yeah, you know, my first year at ECU, Bill Lewis, you know, on Friday nights, he'd play these uh, play these records on this record player. They called them 45s, you know, just one song on there. His favorite one was One Moment in Time. And uh, that's what I always say, you know, moments in time that you have. That was that was definitely one moment in time for me that I'll never forget because, yeah, I got – I still remember getting chills when I walked out there and saw all those people. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's enough to choke you up, you know, yeah. because of how everybody suffered in the hurricane and still made it there. I had I had yeah. tears. And when I walked out of that tunnel, I had tears in my eyes. Yeah, I literally had tears in my eyes. Yep. You know, something, something special. No doubt about it, man. Yep. Um, well, let's uh, kind of move on a little bit to your professional experience. So you you averaged your senior year forty eight point one yards per punt. Mm-hmm. Yep, very impressive and uh, consensus all American. So uh, where'd you go from there? Yeah, so I was um, I was projected to be a draft pick, and um, you know I probably didn't have the greatest showing at the scouting combine. Um, you know I go back and. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I probably I I didn't prepare the way I should have prepared. I probably, you know, I, I had come off a year where I was a consensus All American and had a lot of success, and I probably let some of that get to me. And um, you know, I would work out and feel pretty good, but I, I wasn't working out the right way. And um, you know, that's one of the regrets I I carry. Um, you know, I, I, I thought I had done enough, but I, I hadn't. And I, some of that started to show up at the senior bowl. I had, I played at the senior bowl, the week of the senior bowl, it started to show up and it showed up a little bit at the scouting combine where, you know, the week of the scouting combine, you know, I'm like, Oh man, I might have an issue here. And I remember calling, um, Bill Renner, who I mentioned earlier yep. and saying, man, I, like I'm starting to do some stuff I've never done before in my life. I mean, I like I haven't shanked a punt ever, and now I'm sh- starting to shank a punt. Like, what's going on? And um, it started to get in my head. And once that happens, it's it's a tough thing to break. And um, you know, I I compare it to like a golf swing. You know, if if your forearm gets a little stiff, all of a sudden your your swing's going to start doing some stuff. So. Long story short, I went from being a draft pick to being a um, assigned on draft day as an undrafted free agent with the Detroit Lions. And um, so Bobby Ross was a head coach there. And uh, John Jett was the was the veteran punter that had been in the league for a long time. So it was yeah. the thought thought was to com- come in and compete with John. Um, maybe he's it's about time for him to move on. And if if not, then I'd put on some good film and and move on. To, to the next opportunity. And um, I got smacked in the face uh, by not even making it to the first preseason game. Uh, they had a series of injuries where they needed to make, make a roster move. And I, I, I had done enough to, to be there. Um, 
you know, I was performing. John and I were probably neck and neck at that point, but they decided that they were going to, um, you know, that they were a little thin at some other, at some other um, positions and they were going to roll on with John for the season. So I became a free agent and um, then it went through, you know, basically it was not a good sign that I'd gotten released prior to the first training camp. And yeah. um, I went into workout mode where every team seemed like every week I was getting flown in for workouts. Um, so I did that pretty much the whole season trying to figure out what the next stop was going to be. Um, rode out that season and signed with um, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, the Buccaneers. And they immediately allocated me to the my first season in NFL Europe. And so I was allocated to Frankfurt Galaxy. And instead of going at that time, the NFL had the spring NFL Europe League. So instead of going to mini camps, they could send you to a developmental league um, where you get eight games of, um, you know, NF, NFL cal caliber play. So um, that's what I did. Went to NFL Europe. Uh, they did not have a long snapper. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I did half the season in NFL Europe in Frankfurt with uh, some guy that got off the street in Germany that had never snapped a football in his life. I should show you that film sometime. <laughs> so that season I, I felt like was a complete wash there. You know, I'm chasing snaps. I'm, you know, it was just a complete mess. Um, so, you know, go through pr full preseason with uh, Tampa. Uh, Mark Royal is the is the incumbent punter, another veteran punter. And uh, I make it all the way to the final cuts. And I think at that point that I had done enough to beat him. Uh, especially average wise, I had outperformed him and, um, because he was the veteran and he, even though he was going to cost significantly more money than me, um, they decided to roll with them and they, they cut me on that final day. And, uh, I was heartbroken on that one because I, I thought that was going to be it. And, um, so then same cycle next season workout, you know, uh, fly to every team get a workout and um, get on their lists. And then I signed with uh, San Francisco 49ers. I thought would be a great opportunity. And uh, so they immediately allocated me again, to NFL Europe went to Amsterdam. This time had a great season was all NFL Europe. Um, you nice. know, had a really good average average, I think 44 yards a punt, you know, just had a really good time. And um uh, same thing, make it through training camp with San Francisco and, um, didn't, didn't make it make, you know, got cut final cuts. And, um, you know, at that point, um, I was really doubting myself and, um, I was running out of money, <laughs> you know, as far as being able to sustain that. And if that was going to be the cycle in my head, I was wondering how long I could do that, you know, mentally and, and financially, I think if I had some good financial backing, my perspective at that time would have been different. But, um, you know, my, my brother around that time had would was giving me opportunities to make really good money. And, um, you know, I looked at it long and hard and decided, you know, this I got to grow up and I got to move on. And um, that's what I did. And I, yeah. I, I decided to put football in my rearview mirror. Now, that that was easier said than done. Um, you know, I, I, I probably struggled with that from maybe a <laughs> minimal 
depression level. Um, you know, that, that was not an easy decision, uh, for a couple of years, especially when I'm seeing my buddies compete and, um, you know, having success, it, it made me want to do it, but I knew what it would take the amount of time of training and, uh, stepping away from work and stepping away from making money to do it. And, um, I just, at that point in my life, I couldn't do it. So, you know, I chose to, chose to move on, but you know, I, I don't, the, the only regret I have really is, is preparation, you know, out of college. And, um, you know, I, I remember I didn't have, my agent was not a great resource for that. I didn't have a lot of people in my corner that had gone through that before, as far as from a kicker or punter standpoint, as far as how to prepare for that. And, um, so I, I just, you know, in retrospect, I could have done that so much better and not put myself in, you know, kind of digging myself a hole it, from the jump. Um, yeah. I didn't put my best foot forward and, and I do regret that. Now, everything else, I don't regret. I, I, I had every opportunity in those camps to succeed. If I didn't do enough, that's on me. Um, yeah. But uh you know, I'm thankful for those opportunities, met a lot of good people along the way, a lot of great coaches along the way. And um, that's an experience I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take with me forever. Gotcha. Well, uh, you have become a, a very popular figure here in Greenville with uh, East Carolina University. And now you're on the radio uh, <laughs> helping to announce the games. What, what is your title? On the radio? I'm a color analyst. The color analyst. Okay. Yeah, I'm a and, color uh, analyst, but only for away games. Gotcha. <laughs> Kevin, you know, uh, Kevin, as you know, Kevin Monroe's yep. former teammate of mine and good buddy of mine. And uh, when um, Kevin's son is playing high school football and he started playing high school football last year, Kevin and Jeff Charles uh, gave me a call. Um, couple summers ago asking me if it's something I'd have interest in um, right. helping out. And uh, I told Jeff I was not because I didn't think I'd be good at it. And um, Jeff and Kevin ultimately kind of talked me into it. And I saw the opportunity and, you know, the thing I love about it, you know, besides obviously loving the pirates, you know, it keeps me dialed in. I, I feel like as a fan, I really wasn't that great of staying dialed into the program. Uh, yeah. years prior but you know this gives me the ability to stay dialed in um, get to know the players get to know the coaches um, you know have a good idea of the direction of the program and um, and heck man it, it's a you would love it it's a it's a fun way to watch a football game you know sit in a press <laughs> box and eat some cookies and you know just you know talk about what you're you're seeing or thinking it's um you know, it, it was it was scary last year. I'd never, especially the first couple games, I never had done anything like that before. And um, but, you know, this year it's a little bit different, um, you know, having a little bit of experience. I'm working with Jim Zoki now and, um, you know, Jim's a professional. He's been with Panthers forever, uh, ever since the beginning. And, um, you know, we're having a good time. Yep, absolutely. Well, I enjoy listening to you and. Uh... I've enjoyed listening to Kevin as well. He does a great job. And of course you guys learn from the best. And, uh, I, I, you know, of course I, I met Jeff Charles back in 1991 and 
Yeah. For you know, a long time. Uh, Jeff loved to come in the weight room with Matt Maloney and, and do about 55 sets of bench press, but they never wanted to train their legs. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's funny is he, Jeff would, you know, I met Jeff, you know, obviously my freshman year, not just, you know, as he was interviewing us for, you know, the radio or any of that, but he was, he was in working the same time, working out in the gym, the same time the kickers would, would, or be, would be working out, you know, yeah. you would, you know, we'd go out and run uh, or, you know, we'd do special teams work at the first part of practice. And then coach Logan would let us go. You know, we wouldn't have to stick around the field. He would let us go do our own yeah. thing. Yeah. And, you know, most of that time we would go get our workout in, you know, that you would have us, you know, the, whatever regimented workout we had, we would go do it. And at that time, that's when Jeff would be in there. And um, so that's when I really got to know him. And, um, you know, we continued on that relationship, you know, even when I moved away and um, yeah. was away, he would always call me and just to reconnect and, you know, I'd be on the radio with him or whatever. And he'd uh -huh. always want to know what was going on. And um, so it was good to, to keep up with him over the years. And, um, you know, obviously he gave me the opportunity to, to be part of this pirate network and be part of game day experience. But, you know, he, um, we sure do miss him. He was uh, something special for Pirate Nation. No doubt. No doubt. Well, let's, uh, before we close, let's just uh, talk a little bit about your family, uh, what they're involved in now. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate that. So, um, you know, obviously my, my, my wife, my, she's, uh, she's a nurse at, at ECU Health. You know, it's been, you know, she was a pirate nurse, graduated East Carolina year before I graduated. Um, you know, we've, we've been married 20 years now, which is crazy. Um, but uh, I know it. And, uh, you know, fast forward to, to life today, you know, I've got a, a freshman in college uh, and I got a freshman at Rose High School. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, life is crazy. Um, my, my oldest daughter, she's playing beach volleyball at the University of Tampa. And, um, you know, she's loving life, getting to go to college in paradise, really. And, um, you know, my my daughter here in Greenville at Rose, she's, uh, she's playing beach volleyball. She's playing court volleyball. She played, uh, she just finished up her varsity, uh, freshman varsity year at Rose. And um, she also plays club soccer. So we keep, this household keeps pretty busy, um, running, running and gunning, uh, you know, so I'm sure, uh, Rose soccer season is going to start up here in the spring and, um, she'll have club volleyball starting up and, you know, as a, as a, as a sports parent, man, it, it never stops. <laughs> gotcha. So we, we keep busy, um, in this household and, um, you know, it's no different than, than my upbringing, you know, I try to give my my girls every opportunity uh, that they that they want or need, and um, you know, try to support them whatever direction they want to hit. Gotcha. Well, I was wondering, uh, was uh, was Anna down there during that uh, hurricane? She was. Yep, yeah. she was. She got she. We had just moved her in, and um, we flew back, and she was evacuated within the week. <laughs> about four or five days after we dropped her off 
And um, so she fortunately, you know, she's on the on team, beach volleyball team. And uh, there's a family that has a house inland of Tampa. And so there was about four girls that were able to um, um, seek shelter and yeah. ride that out. So they, they spent a few days inland uh, from Tampa. And then, um, yeah, so, it, you know, it's crazy. She, um, with, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, she's just tell- trying to, you know, unpack her bags and get used to college life and homesickness. Right. And then all of a sudden she's got to deal with uh, getting evacuated. You know, she's she called us and she said, so, OK, so I don't have a lot of options. Well, one of my options is I'm, I'm going to a um, um, a shelter. And uh, she said, if I'm not if I don't find a place by whatever time it was there, you know, we have to leave campus and they're going to send us to a shelter. And um, I said, all right, well, we'll, f- we'll figure it out. It's no problem. Um, there were no flights, obviously, trying yeah. to get her out of there. But you know, thankfully the volleyball team was able to, um, step up and, you know, the girls were taken care of. So yeah, that was wild. Michelle and I were actually in Florida in Destin at Destin that week on the beach at a, at a spa enjoying ourselves and, uh, and the weather. And then all of a sudden we decided we were going to come back about two days early, uh, because that hurricane was coming. And, uh, we still ended up spending the night in Charlotte Airport. Uh, oh, caught up to you? What's that? Did it catch up to you or was yeah, it? It didn't uh, catch up to us. Uh, yeah, it, there, yeah, there were storms there. And uh, we actually boarded the plane. Long story. But anyway, they basically had us deboard the plane. And uh, we had to get tickets. And, you know, of course, we had to stay in the airport all night. But we did make it home and avoided the, the hurricane. But. Uh, I was thinking that that's when she had just uh, gone down there. Yeah, yeah, so, crazy timing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on, uh, sharing those stories, and uh, hope to see you soon around Greenville. Uh, let's. Uh, I'll be at the game this week. Uh, John McMillan, our old dedicated fan from the '90s takes me to the club level. I really appreciate that. And uh, go uh, Pirates. Let's get one this week. Well, listen, listen, you, uh, you've been an incredible, um, you know, influence in my life. Um, you know, four years, not only four years at ECU, you know, but those four years were very impressionable on me um, becoming a, you know, coming in a young man and uh, learning how to, you know, manage time and how to, you know, take care of your body and how to be mentally tough. You know, I I thought, you know, coming into ECU, I I had a lot of components that I needed to succeed, but I was, you know, er, early on coach Logan tasked me with, uh, you know, being a true freshman and and competing and I wasn't prepared and, um, you know, physically, mentally, all of those. And, um, you know, you were a big part in, um, you know, what, what ultimately came at the end of my career. Um, you know, you drove us, you drove, drove us all, um, you know, to a, to a work ethic that, um, you know, ultimately led to excellence. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm forever grateful for, uh, the work that you did not only with me, but with our team, 
and um, you're a big part of the success that that we all had. So, so thank you. I appreciate that very much. Uh, that group of specialists, probably the the toughest group of specialists that I coached through my career, and uh, and I still remember, you know, every week I'd be out there pacing. The specialist would be out there in the lobby when I was pacing around when I had to uh, prepare myself to give that little talk on Friday night. <laughs> yep. We always look forward to it. We always look forward to the talk. And so, I, I've got, can I have a confession? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I, I think it was maybe one of our, one of your last speeches for our group. And uh, it was a Friday night. And I, Nikki and I, Nikki Crabtree and myself, always sat in the back, I think, my senior year. And um, I don't know what you were talking about. It's probably about some canine dogs ripping somebody up. And um, <laughs> I got the giggles. And it's probably because Nikki got the giggles. Yeah. And, like, I was, I was giggling under my breath so bad because I could not control it. And I had tears coming down my face and I like my shoulders were going. And like, I remember thinking if you saw us, how much trouble we would get in. If you saw us in the back laughing about whatever, whatever it was, I'm sure you were not laughing. You were, you were very serious in your delivery. And, um, you know, that was a good memory that I somehow survived that. Because it felt like I was giggling and crying and my shoulders were going crazy for about like five minutes. And uh, somehow we concealed that from you. But well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't have been upset at all because uh, I, I always thought up some kind of crazy stuff that could, you know, that you could be entertained by. Even when uh, <laughs> Master Lee came in there, he's five foot five and and kicked the ceiling the first thing he did. And I had a guy at uh, South Carolina who was in charge, the DI in charge of all the DIs uh, left because he felt intimidated to talk to the team. I'm like, what? So, uh, yeah, we uh, we had all kinds of crazy well, stuff. Usually, usually it ended with you breaking an overhead projector. And it was, <laughs> and it was a, there was a cat. There was always a catalyst as to why you would break it. Like it would be, there would be something at the end of your speech that would get you going. And then next thing you know, you know, the poor overhead would, would pay the price. <laughs> I, I enjoyed bringing in a lot of people to, uh, to get involved with that. You know, and, I don't, uh, I don't that know that our song. I don't know that our student athletes would know what an overhead projector presentation would be. How would they respond to that these days? No, nah, they wouldn't know what it is. <laughs> you got to break one of those out one of these days. We're going to have a reunion, and you're going to break the overhead out. Sounds good. That's yeah, good stuff. Well, thanks a lot for being on. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign out now. I'll well, see I you sometime it. soon. Uh, this is Jeff Connors uh, signing out for Absolute Empowerment. God bless. We'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. 
Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go Pirates!